Welcome back to the Upper Tier Podcast, the football podcast we bring you each and every week on the Dynamo Podcast Network. Head over to YouTube, smash that subscribe and bell notification. And if your preference is for audio, you can check us out on Anchor, where all our audio shows go there as well. And joining me today for a special episode where we're going to be discussing international football. Is the romance still there or is it a posted flush? Joining me as always on the show, Darren McCumsky. Darren, how you doing, my man? Hey, you know, what's happening, buddy? All good? Good, not a bother at all. This is going to be a real interesting one because this isn't in. I know on the shows and on the Monday mashups and all, like we don't steer away from the tough topics, you know what I mean? But this is a real one that should get the fan base out there and the viewers thinking about, like, you know, what's the real purpose of international football at this stage? Does it still carry its credibility and stuff? So I suppose for us being two Irish lads, um, where do we start? I mean, international football has been such an influence on this country, even from an economic and a political point of view. I mean, if you think back to the Charlton era, and, you know, even in the late 80s, 88, when we went to the Euros and 90, when we went to the World Cup and stuff like that, had a massive impact on this country that was in a really bad place um, and helped us somewhat to get out of that place by lifting the mood of the the, um, the population and stuff like that and getting us going again back on the road to recovery and off we went then on what we now know as the Celtic Tiger which did us favours for a little while but not sustainable um, but yeah I mean what, what's your feeling at the moment in terms of our rich history of international football and how we see it now um, It's a tough one man to be honest with you like I kind of feel at the minute I suppose with there not being as much success internationally for us i.e. reaching the, the bigger tournaments, it, it's very hard to kind of get behind the lads in, in that sense, you know. Um, we're, we're all behind them, but to get excited about them, and I mean, we're going through a massive transitional period at this stage. You know, the team the other night that Stephen Kenny put out, I, I was delighted to see it, to be honest with you. I think there was a lot of those lads, um, you know, Robbie Brady, James McLean, Jeff Hendricks, that have been, you know, not stealing and living in the orange jersey, but haven't really been putting in the shifts necessary. It was great to see some of the young lads out there. They looked like they were playing for the jersey. And that in itself is going to get fans excited. You know? Yeah, I think they really need to see that passion, don't they? Really need to 100%. See that, you know, you're going to be 110% in there to earn, earn, your, earn your stripes, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just, and it was encouraging the other night. I know a lot of people are going in hard with Stephen Kenny at the moment. I mean, obviously, I mean, he's gone through a tough period. There's a big transition there. He's changed the whole culture and mentality of, of an international team from, you know, that sort of long ball, lack of possession, hit them on the break, kind of steal a draw or a win, to actually wanting to play football and have a kind of a pattern of play, if you will. Yeah. Um, so he probably needs time, even though people are a bit short-fused on this thing at the moment. Um, I was encouraged by, by what I seen the other night, you know what I mean? Even though we lost 3-2, I'm still encouraged, you know? But, I mean, in terms of, I mean, let's look at the overall international picture and reality and take a look at kind of FIFA and stuff like that. I mean, here's an organisation that, you know, speaks about, you know, fair play in the game and all these different kind of things. But I don't think as an organisation they walk the walk in terms of they've been shrouded in controversy over the years. Anything from, you know, corruption scandals, you know, refereeing, scandals, bet scandals, all this kind of stuff, you know, even to the point I mean, I go back as far as, you know, even if you remember the murder of Escobar um, yeah. that time when I think Colombia got knocked out of the World Cup or something like that it was it was a huge bet ring involved and he ended up, uh, he ended up getting murdered um, to 
points, you know, and then you've got all the referee bribing and the max match fixing allegations and all this has gone away. And then it culminated obviously with the stuff that went on with Seth Bladder and stuff like that. And again, we see it in our own um our own federation here in the FAI, the stuff that's that's come out about, you know, the allegations that have come out, let's say about John Delaney and other people related to that and you know, the other allegations that came out about the ticket selling um uh, in relation to the last the last finals and stuff like that. So it's it's all you know, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth really when you think that these are the people that are controlling international football and you know, what's your thinking on that? Yeah, it does leave a really bad taste, to be honest, man. Like I remember if we call them the good old days in the in the mid nineties and stuff like that. Um you know, you were getting schoolboy tickets and stuff like that, and you were able to maybe go in and, you know, you get an adult in and the kid was half price. There was all these various different things going on, which was to get fans into the stadium. And I just think at the minute, you know, the FAI, but FIFA as well, you know, everything is just money, money, money. You know, FIFA are, are worried about their sponsorship deals going into World Cups, going into European Championships, stuff like this. Um, that that for them is is really the be all and end all of it, the money and the things. Do they care what the football looks like on the pitch? Do they care what the fan what the fan experience is like? I'm not so sure, man, to be honest with you. Um I think at this stage, FIFA is just, you know, it's like the post office of so many brown envelopes going around in it. Um and I think until they, you know, that that's rooted in its core and they need to kind of address that. They need somebody from outside of the body to come in and say, listen, th- this thing is rotten and it's rotten to the core. And the only way we fix this is by everybody who's been involved in this stepping out of it. And we put, you know, people in there who, who love football. And we know there's lots of people out there that love football. Like here's me and you rabbit man. We love football, you know, and, and, and there is people that love football and there's people that want football to be run the right way. But at the minute it's not being run the right way. And I think that's from it, from an international level and even from a national level here in Ireland. Um, you know, the FAI and stuff like that, uh, I think they could do a much, much better job than they're, than they're putting forward at the minute and, and, and give us a much better product, you know? Yeah, I think I think the whole commercial side of the game has exploded so much that the game hasn't been able to move as, as in line with the commercial side, you know? I mean, I know going back even to the, the days I used to go to matches back in 86 and 87 and 88, I mean, you used to get the ticket for £3.00 and you get a yeah. half day off school. It was great going to the matches, great excitement and all. Um, but now, you know, now if you're going to a match, it's nearly half a week's wages for some people, you know what I mean? It's just, it's how the whole commercial side of it has grown so much that it's 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 created these, let's say, opportunities in the game for people who sit at certain desks to look in a different direction that they shouldn't be looking at, let's say. Um, yeah, 100%. And I just think I just think that's a real concern at the moment. I also think, in terms of the structuring, when I look at the structure of, um, we were talking last week, you know, during the San Marino England game, and it was just, you know, they really need to look at how they use the ranking in terms of teams qualifying. And I know obviously that they're very concerned about obviously broadcasting revenue, and I know obviously that like San Marino getting to the finals of a tournament, no disrespect, doesn't carry the broadcasting weight. Of let's say if an England gets there or France or Spain or Italy or whatever it is, but I do think they do have a role in terms of fair play to actually give teams an opportunity to actually try and succeed and not to have such a gulf there. Like I mean, if if you think about it, there I mean, 
the guys there playing last night for England. If you take the England San Marino uh, match last night, there's guys there playing for England last night that, you know, they get paid in a week what most of those San Marino players probably don't even get paid in a year. And I think fundamentally in terms of that, I, I think there needs to be a realignment of that somehow in terms of international football and in terms of giving people, like they speak about fair play and opportunity and respect in the game and all this kind of thing. There's no respect in that match last night in terms of San Marino talking out the world against an England side and get hit up like that and be made feel embarrassed in front of the football world. And I mean, that 5-0, let's be honest, that 5-0 could have been 12-0. They just, you know, they took their, you know, it was a training match for England, even though it was yeah. a competitive game. And I don't think, I don't think that adds anything to the game in terms of the fundamentals of the game if the governing body allows something like that to happen. And I know people will come on and say, well, well, there's a draw for these things. Yeah, there is a draw. But the draw itself is fundamentally flawed. Let's be honest there. You know what I mean? They need to come up with a situation where maybe you get the top 40 teams in the world. They play some sort of a qualifier. And then you get the bottom 40 teams in the world or something like that. And they play in the qualifier and off they go to the finals. And that it's fairer, you know? Yeah, I, I actually think they've... Um... You know, we've 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 seen the changes that they made to the the Nations League, but introducing it, and then for me, that's a much better format. I mean, when we when we saw that Nations League, we saw teams of a similar standard and level able to go out and have competitive games. Now, if your country didn't treat the game as a competitive game, that's something different. But the standard was much closer, and that's what you want. You know what I mean? Those I don't think any of those England lads would have enjoyed that last night. You know, you you're looking at maybe Lingard, who hasn't had the England jersey on the little while, and was able to go out and get a man at the match, which is great for his confidence and stuff like that. But do they want to be going out? Like for me, if you look at the structure they have in the UK, um, with the likes of the Papa Johns and stuff like that, don't they put the underage teams from some of the Premier League sides into it? I mean, it, we would be much better served watching the England under twenty ones against San Marino last night. It, it would be a much closer game. Um, and and you know I still think it's valuable for both sides of the table, whereas when you get the when you get the full the full England national team, and I mean that wasn't even their full team, was it really? You're probably missing four or five out of the starting lineup. They put five past, as you said, there could have been ten or eleven. It's not good for anybody. The England, I'm sure the England team had better training sessions this week than they did last night, and tougher ones. Yeah. You know. Would you even see the draw? Like I mean, they played San Marino there yesterday. Now they're going off, I think, on Saturday or Sunday or whatever it is, and they have an away game against Albania. And they're going, like, where, where's, the, where's the structure of respect and fair play in that? You know what I mean? Like, straight away, they're going to come out of the qualifiers, probably with either six or nine points. I'm not sure if they're playing a friendly then after that. They have a, they have a phenomenal record in the qualifiers recently, yeah. England in general. Yeah. I, think it's the, I think it's the best record in Europe from what I remember. Um, they've gone so many games unbeaten or you know last night I heard the commentator saying uh, San Marino have done well tonight they've only conceded six England's um, ratio was giving them six or sorry they only conceded five England are scoring six on average per game and you're like who are they playing that they're scoring six on average a game like well, this, you know? this is the fundamental point I'm making you know what I mean like it's like it's, it's FIFA you see because the, because of the broadcasting rights and the sponsorship all around that and everything else that comes with it it's in their interest that the big teams all make the finals. There's no doubt yeah. about it. So, like, I mean, if that's what you want, take all the big teams out of the qualifiers and put them in the finals and have yeah. some other sort of system for getting other teams in there. You know what I mean? It just 
it just it doesn't make any sense to have teams going out absolutely spanking each other like that. You know what I mean? It just no. It makes no sense. You know, and I just I just that last night was a prime example of and I tweeted on it as well. And like I mean, we spoke as well. I mean, UEFA's in the same boat as well. I mean, you look at the Champions League draw there last week. We spoke about it on the Monday show. I mean, there's no doubt with Bayern draw and PSG that UEFA would have been kicking themselves over that draw going. You know, they'd want them at least in the semis to come I just thought it was just, you know, FIFA's kind of in the same boat as well, where they're trying to balance the maximum input in terms of revenue from these different aspects of the game, as opposed to, you know, you know, the, the love, the romantic story of the small team making it all the way to the quarters, like what Ireland used to do years ago, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, we beat Romania and then we went down to Italy. But as you said, when we were talking about the, on the Roy Kane episode as well, the chances are we could have got to the semis or the final or whatever it is if we had had Roy Kane there. You know what I mean? They're the stories that we think of. And you also mentioned as well on that episode. Remember when we were talking about Greece? You know what I mean? Yeah. Greece went on and won the, the Euros or whatever it was. You know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's that love of the game that we want. We do want the underdog to do well. Um, and it just looks bad when it's like that. Let's move on and talk in terms of players. I mean, you see a lot of players these days in terms of internationals that they get an opportunity to declare for the country and they won't um, because they'd rather not play because of the, you know, the, the, the push on them that they get no downtime at all. You know, they're playing constantly for their clubs in more and more competitions, in more and more matches. And you have the European agenda at the moment is to extend it even more. So there'll be even more matches. So, and then when you think, you know, when you've got the African nations coming around, you have the home nations coming around, then you have the Euros, then you have the World Cup and all these other things. They literally get no time at all. And I know COVID has had an impact on that, obviously. But it seems, it seems there's less and less uh, moves towards giving players that break that they need in order to Form at a very high level going into the season, and because of this, you see a lot of players they don't really want to be entangled in the international scene, um, unless it's kind of their first choice. I mean, I will put one out there. Let's say, for instance, Patrick Lambert, who was an exceptional player at least, have a great season this season. You know, he would probably have an opportunity to declare himself for Ireland, but would probably prefer not to and to avoid international. Know what I mean? In terms of, you know, you look at it as well. The financial rewards. You know what I mean? The financial rewards as a player now are so great at the higher, the high end of it. That like yeah. the international draw now doesn't seem to be there in terms of its reward. Um, and I just, I, what you're thinking on players? I kind of think, I think the declaring can be a funny one, man. To be honest with you, um, because we've seen a few funny declarations recently, you know. Does it wasn't there a host of lads there in the last ten days, two weeks maybe that have, have put their name forward for um, Jamaica? I know uh, Michael Antonio, who was in an England squad, and and like for me, he was probably in with a shout of getting a game for England. Um, if not, maybe off the bench, he's probably toward a fourth choice. Uh, does he want to go and put you know all the time and effort in for the couple of weeks he's off to sit in a bench? You know, maybe he goes to Jamaica. He's a big bad star over there. You know. They're all walking around in West Ham jerseys. He's getting a bit of sunshine on his back. Um, you know, you don't know how these lads are thinking. The Bamford one for me is a bit strange. Uh, I know Ireland have approached him a couple of times, haven't they? Um, yeah. to, to try and get him to, to sign up. Um, and he said himself, I read something, I read a quote the other day, and he said that he's 
he's hanging on for England. That he's he's an English man. He said was which which was you know it's true, um, and he and he wanted to play for England. Like again, you're probably seeing him in and around the same sort of level as as Antonio. Um, is he gonna be? Is he gonna get 20, 30 caps for England? I don't see. It. Would he get fifty for Ireland? Probably. Would he get fifteen goals? Probably. But is he gonna win at with Ireland? And this is where this is where the decision becomes, you know, ever more difficult, as you said, because with the with the games coming thick and fast, if he decides he's not gonna win anything with Ireland, what's the point in going? Okay, I'll I'll put my hand up for if the England squad call me, because you know what, I might be in with a shit winning something with these boys. Whereas with Ireland, I'm probably not in with a chance of winning something. So I prefer to sit out and have the time with my family. Um, I don't know if he has kids or, you know, stuff like that, but that's probably the way he's going with it. Um, but yeah, I would have I would have always thought, you know, and again, it's a personal thing. So my dad was born in, um, in the UK. I wouldn't play for England. I'm Irish, you know. Um, I, I could qualify, um, but it's it wouldn't interest me. I would I'm Irish. I that's how I would feel personally about it. I think some of the lads need to start kind of looking at themselves a little more. I know like agents as well are going to have a lot to do with this because if all of a sudden you're an international player, you know there's zeros going onto your price tag, and agents are saying you need to play international football. It's going to put you on a stage. If you have a good tournament, all of a sudden you get a big move. You know we've seen it happen. Like you know you basically bought Carol Paborski and Yardy Cruyff after the Euros. You know. Sure, look at look at look at Liverpool. Liverpool bought Phil Pab, Phil Bab and Jason McIntyre and all after yeah, that, yeah. Uh, USA ninety four. Ninety four, yeah, that's right. And I think they did something similar with Barros, didn't he? Yeah, but tell us, tell us this now. You have to bring up a good point there. If if it was reversed, let's suppose you could declare for Ireland or England, but you're an Irishman. But let's suppose Ireland was where England was at, and you were going to be fourth or fifth choice or sitting on a bench. And if you went to Ireland, you knew that potentially you could become a superstar on the international stage in terms of you'd always get your game, you could bag a few goals, you might get 50, 60 caps, whatever it is. Would your decision still be the same? Now, if you park politics out, forget about the politics. Or the things. I think I mean, personally it would. Yeah. But again, that's me. Yeah. Like, I'm an Irishman. I, I don't know any different. Yeah. Um, I can, and if that's how Bamford is looking at it, I kind of have a little bit of respect for the guy. That he's going, you know what? I'm an Englishman. Yeah, I want to play. You know, I want to stand there and sing that anthem. Yeah. I want to wear those three lines on my chest. Like I, in in a sense for Ireland, I would love to stand there and sing the anthem. Have that green jersey. Have those fans in in Lansdowne Road. You know, in the Aviva now. Um, but would would I get the same sort of feeling if I was pulling on an English jersey? I don't think so. You know, I don't think so. But but take for an example. I mean, Bamford is obviously. A- a different kind of example because he's made it clear that he wants to hold out for England if it was yeah. to happen, which is fine. But then take for take someone like Declan Rice, who's played for Ireland at under age level, um, and then decides obviously agents have an influence on this as well because naturally if you declare yeah. for England, the value of your, you know your your commodity goes up, you know your stock. Um, and but you think again you don't know. I mean, you know, is Declan Rice gonna you know, play for England on a regular basis. He's going to be that player who's find himself in that loop again. Um, so something like that, which is kind of strange, that you would you would start down the road, and then you know, you know, when the suit fits, then wear it. You know that kind of way, which is kind of a bit controversial. You know, what I mean, it's it's a strange it's a strange decision. 
it is, but I, I, I 100% feel, um, and again, maybe I'm letting them off the hook on this. I 100% feel that the Royce decision is, is somebody in his ear, you know, yeah. somebody telling them, listen, you know, you play for Ireland, maybe you're Ireland captain, you're at West Ham, your value's 20 million. If you make it into that England start at 11, your value's 40 to 50. And all of a sudden, we're making big bucks, you know, Um I don't doubt we would have been in a better place with the likes of Royce and Grealish. Um, you know, uh, I actually think both of them will end up England internationals. I think they're two really, really good players. I think the funny one with Royce was, Royce was with Chelsea, you know, as a as a youth and stuff like that. And when he was let go, there might have been a sense of, if I get in here, I could kind of drag myself along a little bit on the Ireland scene. Whereas he goes to West Ham, starts to flourish a little bit, gets into the team. And again, then someone says to him, you're in a chance with the three lines here. All oh, right, really? I'm back in the mixer, kind of, you know? Right, maybe we'll we'll throw the we'll throw the hat in the ring for that. Um, I do think it was probably somebody in his ear, unfortunately. Um, but again, I don't know. You know, he is... He, would, you, would you describe him as an Englishman? I would. So it would have even been... It would have been strange for me that he was thinking about even Ireland yeah. off the beaten track, but that's, it's just because something that, that's so alien to me, you know? Yeah. I suppose the thing for us, when you look at the history of our own international team, that, that's kind of something that's never really bothered me, you know what I mean? Because I mean, look, look at what Jack did. Jack came in and brought in a whole house of guys from across the water and qualified, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, you know, I never thought of it in that way. I thought of it as a better level of player coming in to help the international scene, you know what I mean? And if they qualify, Whatever way they qualify, if their auntie's uncle's nephew was Irish or something like that, fought in the war, happy days. If you're in, you're in, and you're there, you know. Tell us this: I was listening to Talk Sport there the other day, and Charlie Austin was on it, and he turned around and he said that he felt that there's huge bias in the English selection process in terms of certain clubs that they look at, they don't look at, and he felt that he deserved and probably should have got more English caps, and um, but because he was playing for. Southampton or whatever it was, he was often overlooked. Um, what's, what's your feeling on that? Yeah, I think he's probably right, man, to be honest with you. Um, you know, if I'm England manager and I'm picking a squad for, you know, a couple of internationals, the first thing I do is I look at the league table and I say, all right, who's top of the league table? Okay, City are. What English players are City? Okay. And only after that am I even looking to say, are they playing games? I mean, Henderson, for a lot of the time at United, has been an understudy to David Hay. There's big talk of him now being the England number one, which in my head is a bit nuts. He's not Man United number one yet. Again, it's something that's unfolding and unravelling at the minute. He may end up the United number one. I personally think he should be United's number one at the minute. But he's getting into that England squad, for me, on the basis that He's the anointed keeper as opposed to he's the best keeper there. Um, I know they brought in Sam Johnston and he's got Pickford injured and stuff like that. I thought the boy, um, thought the boy Darlow at Newcastle was unlucky. He's been outrageous all season. Um, now, I know he lost his place in the last few weeks, but I think even before now, he probably did enough to get a call up. I think Bamford, you know, you can make an argument for him. Um, there are some good English players in the league. You know, um, I know that... that the England team for me looks very, it's really loaded in certain areas. Um, you know, they've got this plethora of right backs, 
you know, like Alexander Arnold and Wan Bissak, neither of them in the squad. You know, um, last season Alexander Arnold probably the best right back in the in the, in the league, um, and I mean for me defensively, I don't think there's anyone better than Wan Bissak. I know he doesn't offer you as much going forward. I think ideally you'd have some sort of a hybrid between the two, you know, the attacking prowess and the defensive side of things. Um, I listened to TalkSport the other day and one of the lads mentioned he felt like Wan-Bissaka should be in there um, based on the fact that, you know, England, if they're going to get to the, the back end of tournaments, are going to play teams where they need defenders to defend. They don't need defenders to be crossing the ball in from the from the byline, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but there's plenty of good players in that league. I thought Konsa could have got a look in at um, Konsa could have got a look in at Villa and probably uh, again Lewis Dunk maybe like uh, Dyer's in that squad and he is Dyer Eric Dyer is a really really average footballer for me and and probably gets in on the basis that he's at Spurs he's mates with Harry Kane England captain you know um, he's one of the he's in one of the big competitions you know um, do you go for him quicker than you go for maybe Konsa Villa you probably do, but if you look at it, you know, Consa for me has been far, far better. And I mean, he's playing next to Mings. If anything happens to the likes of Maguire, you've now got a partner for Mings. It's probably going to be Maguire and Mings for me, you know, as the as the two centre-backs. But if Maguire goes injured, why wouldn't you put Consa in there next to Mings? He's going to be a better fit than Dyer for my money, especially considering he's playing next to the lad week in, week out, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a real difficulty for England, isn't it? The selection process because, like, they're, they're spoiled for riches, really, if you want, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, but more often than not, when it comes together, um, whatever it is that goes wrong in terms of the selection process, more often than not, the guy that you think that should be in there, based on statistical information, if you like, and form, tends yeah. not to be given the nod over, you know, the old reliable, if you like. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's a weird process. I think actually with England, if they took a few more chances in that area, they might be a hell of a lot more successful. Yeah. Um, Isn't there, there's, I've heard the old adage, you know, it's harder to get out of the England team to get into it. Yeah, as soon that, as you, as soon as you get a cap, it's, it seems like it rolls that way. Yeah. There's very few guys that end up with very small numbers of them, you know, in the last say 20 years. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, 100%. Um, so I suppose if I'm looking in, the challenges. I suppose that FIFA's facing at the moment with the way this whole globalisation of football is happening. You know what I mean? Um, what's what's the challenges to see there? I mean, the obvious the obvious one is obviously to rebuild that reputation. I mean, that's that's the starting one because most people look at it and you hear the word FIFA and people straight away go corruption. Yeah. You know what I mean? So and this is the global football body. You know what I mean? So, um, what other things come to mind when you're looking at those kind of things in terms of challenges? I think we're we're in an ever-changing climate, you know, obviously with the virus and everything that's gone on at the minute. But I think, you know, internationally, I think there needs to be something done to, to kind of rejuvenate um, the international ranks. I do like the idea, the, the Nations League. I think it's a good idea. I think it's it's a far more balanced view of football. And you're going to get a lot more, you know, a lot more football matches that are close. You know, somebody wins by a goal or two rather than, that last night, which was just farcical, really. Um, I think obviously you've got the money side of things. The money issue for me is massive because until it's addressed, until you address the elephant in the room, which i.e. is the commercial side of things, FIFA's always gonna be on you know the tip of everyone's tongue when you when you hear corruption, FIFA, straight away. You know, 
um, it's got to be addressed. It's got to be it's got to be looked at and, and said. Maybe you know we need to we need to do this kind of a rejuvenation from from outside and and kind of get a lot of a lot of the boys that have had the jobs you know over the last few years, um, the Bertie Club, let's say, get them shown to the door. Step down, take our silence, you know, off you go. There's a little brown envelope. If you need a brown envelope to get rid of them, I would be fine. If it's in the best interest of what's going to happen going forward, do you know what I mean? Yeah. No you, you say to guys, listen, there's a couple of quid, take a seat, you're done and dusted. We're going to get someone in now that's actually going to try and help us move this in the right direction. A football lover. I think players need to be more involved as well. You know, ex players and, and ex coaches and stuff like that. Because they're guys that know a lot about the game. They're the guys that have been playing in the Premier League. You know, let's just use the Premier League, for example. They're guys that have been playing in the inter- the Premier League and then have to go and play internationals. Yeah. They know what it feels like to maybe be away from their family for another two weeks where they feel like they didn't need to be. Yeah. They're the ones that feel like maybe their body is under stress and strain because they're playing 50 games a season and all of a sudden now they have to go off to some far-flung, you know, the next one's Qatar, isn't it? Like, yeah. Qatar is going to absolutely rip some of them lads asunder. That's going to be four to five weeks in exhausting heat. You know, um, I often go away on holidays and I'm tired from the heat. Now, you know, I'm no physical specimen, but these lads are going to do, to play tough, tough games. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't shock me when after big tournaments like that, we see a massive increase in injuries in the four, six to eight weeks back. Lads have been over there. They've been tired. You know, they're, they're, you know we're, we're using this word very lightly. They're worked to the bone in, in a sense, you know, um, it's a it's a force world team. They're not actually worked at a bound, but over there it's tough, you know, and, and they get into these games and then all of a sudden they're back and they're like, Jesus, am I playing the game again? Because the club managers are going to use these as often as possible. You know, they're they're the commodity at club level. That's that's the club was paying for them. You know, the the I mean the even the fees, the international fees and stuff like that. I know most of them now are are um are given to charity and stuff like that. I was reading something last night about that. A lot of the lads are giving it. So it's not even, they're not doing it for the money, you know? Um, it's it's strange, man. I think it's yeah, it's strange times for for international football, you know? You don't want to see it dying its arse, but I feel like if it's not, if something's not done soon, we could be at that. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I was listening as well to a quote from um, Interpol Secretary General, the man Ron Noble was saying last night, the fight against Max Fixon will be a lifelong battle ongoing. You know, he says there isn't a country or a region that's immune from it, you know what I mean? Which is a fair point to make. Um, I also looked at, you know, this this gulf, like if you look at it, if you know, because you got to remember from international football, it's club football that comes up into that, if you like, and feeds up into it. Mm-hmm. And I think they do. I know there was talk during the week there about financial fair play and they're scrapping it and they're going to come up with some other idea. Um, but I think until they have find some way of aligning the finances within clubs in some sort of course or fashion, um, I think you're still going to have a problem as well. Because obviously, you know, if you're at City or Liverpool or United or Chelsea or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Those top clubs, you know what I mean? You're obviously at an advantage straight away. As you said, in terms of even the bias of being selected through a selection process, Compared to like if you're at a Villa or a Leeds or a West Brom or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Unless you're an exceptional talent. And if you're an exceptional talent, you're not going to be at those clubs too long because you're going to be bought. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's, there's something to be done there as well that kind of just smooths it slightly a little bit. I also think one of the big challenges they're going to have is, you know, this emergence of the power 
of the African nations and the Asian nations, no confederation. Because of the yeah. global system in terms of FIFA, um, you know, these guys are going to be looking for a bigger seat at the top table, if you like. Um, yeah, 100%. They're, going, they're going to have to try and find a way to accommodate these places as well because they're going to be looking, naturally, they're going to be looking for more places and tournaments and all this kind of thing. You know? um, I think they're going to have to try and find a balance as well between now with, with the, the football in the Olympics and, you know, players are going to be going off to play that. And because the leagues have become such a global thing, you know what I mean? You have a player there, say, for example, Sadio Mane he plays for Liverpool and he's going off to play for Senegal. He's playing in the African Cup of Nations. He might might end up going off to play in the Olympics. Whatever it is, you know what I mean? And they're just being they're being pulled all over the place, and they're trying to find this balance between, you know, not letting their country down and also being loyal to the club who actually pays them a huge amount of money. And I think when you think of big players like that, you know, more often than not, they go away in international duty. They come home from their international break, and they're injured. And and you know the clubs get compensated, but I mean. You look at, say, for instance, say Man United at the moment. Let's say Bruno Fernandes goes off this week, he's playing for Portugal, and he ends up with an injury that puts him out for us to see. The compensation of that is not going to do Man United any good in reality. Not at all. You know what I mean? And, and, like, especially when you think of, you know, as you said, the emergence of the Asian and the African football. I mean, some of the pitches the lads are playing on. Um, you know, we talked about, obviously, the what, what Keane described as the... The, the tarmac uh, car park they played on in Saipan and the lads some of the I've tuned into African Nations Cup games before and you're just looking going what are they doing on this pitch um, they're, they're waiting to break an ankle or a leg or something like that uh, the, I suppose there's two for me I, I, I can see a couple of things that could help massively I think as an international player um, you could be given a quota so the quota could be the number of games you can play internationally per year. So I'm manager of France. And I know that year I'm going to have, let's say I'm going to have 10 games. And I picked the squad, but my, my, my quota for each player is only seven. Each player can only play seven games. Pogba can only play seven of those 10. Um, you know, you can Mbappe can only play seven of those ten, which gives them the balance of having the break and then maybe allowing the guys from the smaller teams get in and get a foothold in international football, which should in theory progress them as players. Um, I think something like that could work. Uh, rather than I mean, I saw I saw somebody in the league this week was called off somewhere mental for a literally a friendly. What's it? Oh, someone in the Premier League was called off and, and the, you were thinking is this guy going you know 22 hours on a plane to play a friendly match on a on a cobble driveway like what I, I completely get playing for your country I completely understand it but the players need to be protected as well you know they are there is that tug of war between the, the clubs and the, the internationals and we also don't know what goes on in some of these international countries that if I get called up to the national squad and I'm not okay to go. What are the repercussions for maybe my family back there? We know stuff like that's gone on in the past. Um, so, you know, you take that side of things away by saying, listen, you can make it a percentage. They can play in 70% of their country's games per season uh, and, and, and put, put the cap there. 
and, and give other lads, you know, give the Mikel Antonios, give the Patrick Bamford games, give them games against San Marino. Let, you know, let Harry Kane sit home and rest up to for two weeks. As a United fan, I can't believe Marcus Rashford is over there. You know, yeah. he, he wasn't able to play our last game, but he rocked up for England. Yeah. And I'm going, all right, well, you know, surely he would have been better served. They're playing San Marino and is it Luxembourg? Who's the other game? San Marino, Albania. San Marino and Albania. I'm like, you know, you could play the, you could play the under 15s. They probably get two wins. So why not sit Rashford at home for two weeks? Let him recover. We already know he's waiting on shoulder surgery. Yeah. The guy's banged up, yeah. you know. Um, from the from the club point of view, like I don't think club football is going to is going to work as well as it can until we get some sort of salary cap involved. Yeah. You know. Um. The, the lads do it in, in the States with the basketball and the American football. They've got salary cap space and they're moving players out to accommodate players. Um, as and, and you know, as you're, you're a younger player, you only get a certain amount of calorie, uh, sorry, salary space. Um, if you're slightly older, again, only a certain amount. You've got your couple of franchise players and stuff like that. That levels the playing field. If, if, if all of a sudden, you know, um, the likes of you know, Everton and Aston Villa and Newcastle are getting bites at bigger players because they've got the exact same salary cap to spend as Man City, United, Liverpool, Chelsea. That makes the league a much more exciting league. You know, I, like, I watch these prediction things on the on the American football and guys at the, at the start of the year are telling you any one of these 10 teams can win. We can't say that about the Premier League. Well, well, you I know, mean, you, you can say any of ten teams can win on a given day, but not win a league. Not, not win know? a league, not win a Super Bowl yeah, as it is in, in in American football. You know. Yeah, I think um, I think there's always been a gulf between the rich and the poor clubs, but I think the real fundamental problem we're seeing at the moment now is the emergence of super rich clubs. Yeah. Um, which is blowing everyone away. You know, you've got owners coming in from, you know, far flung regions of the world that are coming in. They're super rich, multi, multi, multi multi-billionaires, you know what I mean? Um, and they're taking ownership of clubs because, you know, it seems to be the new cool thing now is the own yeah. football club. Um, but I just I just think that's where they need to be really, really careful, you know what I mean? Because if you take, you know, if you talk about the level playing field, I mean, look at Manchester United, your own club, it's been one of the biggest clubs in the world for so long now. And then you see the likes of Chelsea, you know, with Roman's money, and they're just taking off with this financial fair play thing out, out of water at the moment. You got yeah. Man City there as well. I mean, these guys can conceivably go out, you know, and you know, spend a billion or whatever it is on players and boom, you're done and dusted again. And it, you know, you find yourself in that vicious cycle all the time, you know what I mean? And, and I think know. the I think the rules surrounding the financial fair play were keeping some of those types of people away from the game because they thought, I can't get involved in this. Maybe my money's not worth as much to me as I feel it is because I still got to live within financial fair play, you know? Yeah. Whereas if they open up the floodgates, you know, there's guys going to be coming in. I, I, I heard them talking about um, the Saudi Arabian lad, Bin Salman. You know, he's apparently he's 30 times as rich as Roman Abramovich. Yeah. Do you want him to own a football club? Personally, I don't. Because what's it going to be? It's going to be like playing FIFA. Going to be like football manager with an it's, endless budget, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, and they do. I mean, sometimes they buy these players, they're just like little trophies that they want to have, you know what I mean? That they can yeah. play as for Arsenal, 
Um, and that, that for me is a real concern at the moment because I think, you know, naturally in the Premiership or the Premier League, we're not, we're not going to find 20 super rich owners to go across no. the board. And then they're all just playing a chess game each year with each other. Um, and likewise, there isn't that amount of absolute top-end world-class players in the world anyway to fill those 20 teams anyway. So, um, yeah, it just it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff to be looked at in football at the moment that feeds up into the international situation. Um, and it's how that's all handled. You know? I think also some of the other stuff that they work on, some of the racism campaigns and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, all those kind of things that they're trying to get out of the, the game. The game. I, I, I think, again, not this similar to the, you know, the taking of the knee and stuff like that. I think they get, need to get more proactive with stuff that actually has tangible results as opposed to stuff that tends to look like a gesture, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I, I, you know, they go into these countries, if you take the Brazilian situation where they were doing the World Cup, you know, all these stadiums that were built, you know, there was, there was debts on these construction sites because of the rush yeah. to get it together. It was all washed away, you know what I mean? There was there was talk of kind of like slave labour going on and all this kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just, you know, if you're going to preach it, preach it, you know what I mean? But make sure you're doing it. Don't, don't, hide away from what you're doing. Um, you know, be be that organization that does, you know, set the platform for fair play and respecting the game and, you know, no to racism and, you know, fan violence and all this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Get it out of the game and do what you need to do. Spend your money in those areas that yeah. will make a huge difference to the game. But I think at the moment the kind of court is out at the moment on international football. And as you said in the beginning, it is difficult when you're not feeling any kind of success. Um, but I mean, in terms of the overall of the international scene, I think there's a lot of work still to be done to turn it into what it should be, you know, which is like respect, fair play, and equal opportunity as much as you can for certain teams and stuff like that. You know? um, but as always, brilliant. Thanks for coming on. Um, Very welcome, man. As always, head over to YouTube, Dynamo Podcast Network, smash that subscribe bell notification button. We're also on Anchor, so Spotify, Podbeam, wherever you pick up your audio podcast, you'll find us there. We are the upper tier. This has been us. Thanks again for tuning in.